and welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson. The Head Shepherd Podcast is brought to you by NextGen Agri. At NextGen Agri, we're focused on livestock and genetics and technology, those three subjects, and that's what we'll cover here at Head Shepherd. They're the three things that we love talking about, the three things we love learning about, and the three things that we work with our clients on. So you can expect to hear from both myself and the team here at NextGen Agri, as well as our leading experts in the work across those three aspects of livestock production. Welcome back to the Head Shepherd Podcast. You're with Mark Ferguson. Great to be with you today. Today we're going to continue on on our Heritability of Hope series. So this is the second in the series and there's, there's three that we'll eventually uh, have on the podcast. So today I wanted to, to move on. Last time, remembering we're talking about the power of genes and we're talking about that 10-year time frame and, and how important that is because the decisions we make today take a long time to actually have their full impact on our farming systems, whether it's a bull we're buying or a ram we're buying, or whether it's a mob of ewes or mob of cows, those genetic decisions take longer time to actually have their full impact on our on our production system. So it means that when we're thinking about genetics, we can't be just thinking about the current year, the people that are buying bulls in the last few weeks. Those daughters of those bulls are still going to be in their production systems in eight, nine, ten years' time. It's a really long-term impact, and so we have to think about what is 10 years' time look like in our farming futures? The first one of these series, I talked about the, the first hope, which is the hope that the markets that we that are still here today will be there in 10 years' time. So are those consumers going to be wanting the same thing? And our next podcast uh, in this series, coming to you next week, is we hear from Dave Maslin from New Zealand Merino Company, and he'll talk a lot about those markets and how they're evolving. Today, I wanted to talk about the things that we do on farm and whether we think we'll still be able to do them in 10 years' time. So it's a bit of my take on, on the social license to operate on farm and my belief that you need to really consider these things when we're setting our breeding objective. We need to think about are the things that we're doing today that we probably don't want to do in, in 10 years' time or the things that we're doing today that we that we might not be allowed to do in 10 years' time. Again, if we react late, we've it's sort of the horse has bolted. But if we start thinking about things early, we can actually breed sheep and cattle that, that are better set up for that for that future scenario. So what we're really talking about is I guess really it's environmental impacts, it's it's chemical use and it's animal welfare. They're the three things that we probably see the most shift over the last decade and will continue to see. And so what I'm asking, I guess, is for you to consider which of those things you think are going to actually impact on the way you're currently farming, whether it's your sheep or cattle. I think we need to sort of move on from the fact that we don't agree with people with differing opinion than ours. It might be people for ethical treatment of animals that you disagree with, Peter, or RSBCA or, or any other NGO. Or it might be some environmental bodies that, that you disagree with. But I guess the, the reality is they're never going to agree with us and we're never going to agree with them. But increasingly we're seeing shifts in, in the consumer sets and the, and the way that they view the way we're, we, we're farming. And, and also ourselves, we're, we're becoming more aware of, of uh, our own environments and, and what the, the consumers are asking for and so we're moving in those directions and all I'm asking is we continue to do that continue to think what is 10 years in the future look like in terms of the things that we do on farm we'll hear a bit more about this when we when we talk to Dave Maslin next week but essentially we this argument doesn't get won or lost at the sort of point of farmer to consumer it really is the brands which are the ones that have to put their their names on the line literally their brand on the line to support a particular farming practice or to, to support a particular production system and essentially, if they view that risk as too high, then they will they will move away from that practice. So, if we think about mulesing, the which we'll talk a little bit about with Dave Maslin, the 
there's brands that have moved away from that from wanting to be associated with that practice. So it wasn't that consumers having a major impact themselves. It's just the brand knowing that they don't want to be exposed to that risk that that they could be on the front page of a newspaper one day with with a with a welfare group highlighting their their production systems, and that whole brand becomes at risk, not just that product line that that might contain that Merino Merino wool. So if it's a big fashion house, Merino wool might be five or ten percent of of what they're using. And the whole lot gets brought under the spotlight under that same that same campaign. So essentially, this this argument doesn't get won or lost with us or or the consumer. It gets won or lost with those brands. I think music's a classic one under this sort of umbrella, and that is that it's a practice that was done on pretty much all farms for a period of time, and then increasingly over the last few decades, people have moved away from it, and it's been a spotlight of lots and lots of discussions around what is good welfare in terms of whether you do it or you don't do it. But the reality is that the brands are aligning to not want that practice in, in merino wool production. And increasingly, we're seeing discounts applied to mules wool, and, and particularly under times of restric- restricted demand, that seems to even get uh, more highlighted in, in the market. So really, it's not about what I think or, or what you read in the newspaper. It's really your judgment call as to how you're reading the tea leaves in terms of whether that practice will be allowed in 10 years' time or whether you'll be able to sell your wool in 10 years' time. Because once you've got a significant proportion of the market that can produce wool without that practice, which is every country except Australia, and significant chunks of Australian producers producing without without musing, then essentially it gets very, very difficult to defend, and increasingly so. So it's something you have to really consider in your in your production system. Because we know if you're already breeding an animal that's got wrinkles now, then it's going to take time to reduce that wrinkle. We know you don't need to lose fleece weight. We know you can produce an animal with, with great wool without mulesing, but it takes time to get, get, those, uh, get those genes lined up. And so the earlier you start, the, the more hope you've got in that 10-year time period of, of actually having an animal where, you don't, uh, where that practice isn't required. For what it's worth, my two bobs worth. I worked for the New Zealand Merino Company for six years, and every year I was there, the, the demand increased for non-mules wool. All ZQ wool is is non-mulesed, and the demand for ZQ wool kept increasing every time I was there, and I imagine has continued since. So, for my two bobs worth, it's it is definitely going to get more and more difficult to sell mules wool in the market, particularly as every country other than Australia is is producing merino wool with without that practice, and as as brands start to really align away from it, then, then the auction market for mules wool is going to get more and more tough, in in my opinion. And the big reality is, is, is that's because there is a viable alternative. People are out there producing very profitable merino sheep that don't require mulesing all over the world and within Australia. And so while that might not be the type of sheep that people like, you can still produce a very profitable sheep without that without that process. So I think it's it's one of those things that is just going to become very, very difficult to defend in, in the future. And I guess the reason we're talking about it here in terms of around genetics is because that is the only viable alternative to, to mules. None of the others that have been trialled, and, and hats off to the people who have put a lot of effort, a lot of research money into trying to find alternatives. But the reality is the, the one permanent and true solver of, of that issue is, is genetics. Breeding sheep that don't require it is really the only, only future. And so really, really important that we get on that track early and as an industry keep keep moving. And I know there's been people doing it for two if not three decades or, or a long time been mu- uh, moved away from that practice and we need the rest of the industry to, to really seriously consider the same. I think the other area where that we could think of similarly in terms of the opportunity for genetics to have a, an impact but we need to start now is, is around chemical use, chemical use to, re- to reduce worm burdens, chemical use to reduce 
fly impact. So again, whether you're musing or not, sometimes you'll, there'll be uh, fly chemicals applied, but we know that there's sheep out there that are much less susceptible to flies and the sheep out there that are much less susceptible to worms. So we can absolutely take a front foot position in the industry to breed sheep that require a lot less chemicals. Not saying we reduce it to zero, but it looks fantastic in a truly transparent production system where you're saying I've reduced the amount of chemical use by this much or that much. No production system or no consumer set wants to see animals suffer so you don't use any chemicals. But if you can tell a great story of how you're using integrated pest management where you're breeding a sheep to require less chemicals and you're using uh, less chemicals as a result of that and and that's improving all the time is is a really great story. And I think that's got a lot of opportunity. So we often think of genetics about being all about production parameters they're very much about taking out labor cost and and chemicals out of our system is something that genetics can have a a major part to play in particularly in sheep where we're using chemicals around reducing parasite loads which obviously has a positive welfare outcome but also has a a positive impact on our on our bottom line so we need to get serious about about those breeding programs there's been some great research done on on around fly strike and and finding lines of sheep that really do not get fly struck under a normal fly wave and similarly, we've seen sheep that, that get a way less worm burdens. So the, the tools are there, the breeding ways are there. We need to align them a little bit better probably and help people to use them. And we've got a, just about to release a course on that. But I think it's really important that we actually pull all that information together and start working on those animals that require less, less of those treatments. I think the other big sleeper out there is, is lamb survival. We've, we've known for a, a long period of time that in some circumstances, lose significant numbers of lambs within the first 48 hours of life through through weather events or through poor management. And partly that is lots of lots of management. We've seen some great things over the last last couple of decades with lifetime ewe management coming around and a lot of people learning to condition score their sheep and manage those twin ewes better. We're now seeing significant proportions of triplets and we've got work going on with Murdoch and MLA to, to try and understand what good farmers are doing in terms of managing their triplet bearing ewes. So there's great management things going on. and But I think it's also very important to, to look at the genetics for for those, those survival traits, trying to make sure we're breeding animals that aren't getting worse for lamb survival and as much as we can getting positive outcomes for lamb survival. It's great to see the new breeding values coming out of sheep genetics. So we've got the, the urearing ability breeding values that's just being released for merinos and has been in maternals for a while, both as a research breeding value. But I encourage you to really start to understand what that means. So that's trying to find the ewes that consistently and those whole ewe lines of that consistently bring in their lambs compared to others that don't. We don't have heaps and heaps of people providing the right information for that at the moment, but the more subbreeds we get on that, the better we will go, the greater gains we will make around lamb survival. Really low the heritable trait, but I don't think that's a reason not to try. We need to make sure, at a very minimum, we're not breeding sheep that are becoming worse for that trait in our quest to produce more productive animals. In my mind, we have to be trying to breed sheep that, that are getting better for that trait. Obviously, I've talked a lot about fat and muscle over my career, and, and we have seen very positive benefits from going for, for sheep with those high carcass merit. Sheep tend to have more condition score when they're lambing, tend to protect their newborn lambs better through through being able to mobilise more resources for those. But that's not, a, that's not a silver bullet either. We need to combine all the tools, make sure they've got enough fat and muscle in the system, and start selecting for these new rearing ability breeding baits as well, because we need to use all the tools we've got. And so important that we just don't rely on what we think might be a silver bullet because end of the day there'll be variation that we can capture across a range of different aspects of this paradigm and we want to capture all those it's maternal behavior it's it's the amount of resources that lamb's born with it's the amount of resources that you've got when she's having that lamb 
It's the ability to withstand cold. There's a whole heap of things going on around lamb survival and reproduction generally. We need to be, wherever we can, working on all of those aspects and improving our sheep to make sure that we're having a positive welfare outcome. There is some inadvertent selection pressure against lamb survival. Lean meat yield is a classic. I talked about it last time. It's a negative. It has a negative impact on all the traits that you would you would make a lamb viable. Uh, a fleece weight under the wrong circumstances, going for high fleece weight at the same body weight, runs that animal out of resources and makes it less viable at birth. So a couple of things that we might be going for this production benefit, we have to be really careful not having a negative outcome on on the actual on that lamb survival trait because it's it is something that we need to always be working on as an industry through our management, but increasingly through our genetics because almost nothing has been done on a, on a genetic front, very little in a concerted way. We need to really think about how we how we do that as an industry and, and really get moving. Like everything, we need to not fear where we're at now. We need to be able to be transparent about that, happily tell our current levels of, of wastage and demonstrate improvement because people don't mind things that aren't perfect. They, but they do mind when things aren't perfect and nothing's being done about it. So I think it's very critical that we get transparent about our land wastage as well as have a serious program in front of us that we are improving that every time. In my mind, if we're serious about improving lamb survival in terms of genetic context, we need to have stud breeders that are willing to be in the paddock collecting the information, collecting accurate date of birth, knowing which days animals are being born on, understanding that maternal behaviour that's going on, recording lamb birth weight in a terminal sense to make sure we're not breeding animals that are that are getting heavier and therefore higher chance of dystochia being there to see animals that take a bit longer to to get out so that lamb dystochia and i think we've got some technology advantages that'll help on all these on all these aspects coming forward personally i think if we're going to improve these traits these maternal traits these lamb survival traits we need to get really focused in the paddock and it's there's several breeders that do it and there's several breeders that don't for for whole heap of reasons big part of that is is the resources and the, and the country that where these animals are lambing and, and calving. But I think the better we get that information, the better we'll go. So I believe as an industry, we need to, to seriously consider these, these welfare issues, these chemical issues, and start to think about what, what are the genetic options that we've got ahead of us that we can use to, to reduce any welfare, any negative welfare outcomes, and reduce the amount of chemicals you're using. We've seen great shift to pole sheep, so there's not the amount of horns and scurs that we know cause cause some issues around for both the owners and the and the animals themselves. We've seen great people doing some amazing things on on worm resistance. We've got some great research on fly strike resistance, and we've got flocks out there that use very little chemicals. We've seen animals change dramatically over the last ten years, where people have really started to put a lot more fat and carcass into their into their sheep, and we've seen the survival benefits from that. We're seeing people really be careful about how much fleece weight they stack on their sheep. So they're not getting too much fleece weight for the for the body weight of that animal. We've seen people really get focused on reducing wrinkles, so they're less susceptible to flies and less susceptible to to lamb mortality as well. So there's a lot of good things going in the industry. This is not a beat up session. This is this is celebrating those great things that are going on. I'm encouraging those that aren't thinking that way at the moment to start thinking about there might be only one of those aspects that appeals to you. This is not about what I think the ten years has got ahead of it. It's about you thinking about what the ten years is and which of those things under your environment under your production system with what you've got around you and the resources you've got around you what which of those things is the most important one to think about and it might be none of them or it might be all of them but it really is a personal decision and something i'd really like you to think about what is 10 years look for look like in terms of what you'll be able to do on farm so it is obviously about balance we've got to balance our production we've got to balance our performance with with some of these other traits and making sure 
we're continually striving for an animal that's got slightly higher welfare outcomes, got slightly less chemical use, and is slightly more productive and moving in that direction. We can't get any of those things out of kilter because it's going to get increasingly tough to sell our products if we're doing it at the cost of animal welfare or at the cost of, of environmental degradation or at, at excessive chemical use. So there's a whole heap of things going on, I believe, and I think that genetics has a part to play in that. I'm not saying it's the silver bullet. I'm not saying it has all the answers. Management and a whole heap of things are going to be more important on many of those cases. But if you're going to be running sheep and cattle, you may as well be running good ones. And that's where genetics comes in, trying to find animals that, that give you a helping hand rather than hold you back is, is what we're about. We don't pretend it's simple. We don't pretend it's, that everyone can do it in an intuitive way. It's, it's about combining lots of different tools. And, and I guess we're fortunate to spend a lot of our time working with those tools and seeing their impact firsthand. We've seen the DAG breeding value really shift the amount of DAG that animals have got. We've, really, we've seen the worm-resist breeding values breed sheep that have less less worms. We've seen animals that are, say they're low-wrinkled by their breeding value breeding sheep that are low-wrinkled and don't, don't require mulesing and don't get flystruck. We've seen sheep with big positive fats and, and mobs of them that are actually protecting their lambs and having, having higher survival outcomes uh, as, we, as we go through that. None of each of them are a silver bullet, but as we start to build that sheep type with all these things combined, we can start to put together an animal which is better suited to that 10-year time frame, in my mind, than where we were 10 years ago. And so there's some great stuff going out there. Congratulations to all those breeders that are making those those inroads. If any of you are, are considering it, we'd love for you to get in touch and, and we're happy to sit down and help you make a plan. For those of you who completely disagree with me, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, we've got plenty of social channels where you can you can let me know what you think or direct email or direct phone call. I'd love to hear your opinions as well. We don't shy away from, from the opposite opposite view. We'd love to love to hear that so that we can we can learn from you about what you think the 10-year consumers looks like cause, because we might have completely missed something and we'd, we'd love to hear that news. So that's that's a wrap for today's podcast. Just a short one there, the second in the series of Heritability of Hope. Today talking about what we hope we can still do the things that we can do today in 10 years' time on farm. And just an encouragement for me to think about what those things that are that might be changing and what you can do about them on a genetic front. We've got a couple of great interviews lined up for you. We've got Dave Maslin from New Zealand Marino Company who will cover a lot of the same territory but in a much more direct market-focused way, uh, less about genetics, obviously. We've got Sarah Bloomer coming your way as well. She'll talk about the triplets project that she's uh, part of. That's an MLA-funded project. She'll talk about the GPEP project, which is around the whole-body energy of, of animals that AWI are funding as part of their MLP uh, add-on, so the Merino Lifetime Productivity add-on. There's some really interesting work going on there that, that we'll get some insights from Sarah on. Both of those are sort of early days, but just to give people a heads up on, on what's happening. We're also going to be hearing from some breeders soon that are putting some of these practices into place and, and have a real-world experience around around these these aspects. So that's been Heritability of Hope Part 2. Sometime down the future, we'll be, we'll be covering Part 3, which is the more, I guess, classical breeding, breeding part of, of this Heritability of Hope series. But thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for the feedback we're getting on the podcast. We're really loving all the all the responses. We've had very good downloads and, and love to see that continue. Hopefully uh, everyone continues to enjoy it and we continue to bring you great information. There'll be more interviews coming, so it won't all be just listening to me. There'll be interviews every at least every second week, probably probably more than that. By all means, get in touch and let us know what you, what you think and what you'd like to hear about because we'd love to, love to interview the right people. Thanks very much. That's been the Head Shepherd Podcast. My name's Mark Ferguson from NextGen Agri. You can check out NextGen Agri at www.nextgenagri.com. 
plenty of information going up there. An interview went up a couple of weeks ago on, on Dawson Bradford, um, a great breeder from Western Australia. There's another interview there from Ian Robertson, another great breeder from Western Australia. There's, uh, there's articles we've written. There's our new courses that are up there. The breeding course is going really well, so check that out if, uh, if you're wanting to think about how you would go through these processes in a systematic way it's a pretty good it's a pretty good starting place but uh, yeah by all means get in touch and, and let us know what you think thanks very much 